Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined today as always by staff writer Josh Clark, who is very tanned and, and rested from his vacation in Malta. Very rested, very relaxed. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm uh, glad to be back to a certain extent. Miss Malta terribly, uh, but yeah, I- I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy to be here. <laughs> well, we missed you, and we really couldn't. Um, hold down the fort, people had to go ahead and pick vice presidents while you were gone. I know. I was a little disappointed to find out. I figured they'd wait until I got back. Um, the Clintons called me, and uh, they they alerted me to what was going on, and I said, you know, just go for it. I was in the Malta mindset, you know, two-hour lunches, three-hour dinners, just you kids have at it kind of thing. And have at it they did. They There's did. some pretty interesting choices today. Um and as in every good presidential election year, there's always a lot of good fodder for scandals and I would backlash. say that there's, a, there's more than usual this year. Well, people are really anxious for change, I guess, or, or more anxious for things to stay the same. And everyone's all Twitter. I think everybody's um, pretty anxious for hope as well as change. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's going to be pretty interesting uh, the next couple of months. I'm looking forward to the debates for probably the first time in my entire life. What about you? I'm just curious to know how Sarah Palin is going to wear her hair, up or down. That is I, the question. I would predict up. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'd put a significant amount of money on it. Hmm. Yeah. We'll have to finish this wager later. You know, I was thinking about presidents and their private lives and how, especially in today's modern age and, and media rampage, they're not really entitled to private lives. At least the public wouldn't want them to be. You know, no more than celebrities get to have their private lives. And even though you have very surly Brad and Angelina, you know, threatening lawsuits on people who invade their homes, mm-hmm. people want to know what's going on behind the sort of glossy facade of public appearances. Well, yeah, well, there's a uh, there's a law actually in the U.S. called right to publicity, which um, <clears throat> I don't know if you heard about the whole 50 cent Taco Bell scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was able to you know threaten a lawsuit probably win I've been out of the country so I don't know what came of it um, but because of the right to publicity he is um, his image and his name and that's what is his career is that same uh, courtesy isn't extended to public figures elected officials people who throw their hats in the ring um, but I agree I think you know back in the day. Private life and public life were two totally separate things. I don't think politicians were judged by their private lives uh, until we became kind of caught up in this cult of celebrity. Don't you? Don't you think? Oh, I it's agree. It's a completely. fairly modern, a modern occurrence. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent it is fair because when people say things in the public sphere, but then their behavior and their personal time betrays that they perhaps feel the opposite way, you know, maybe people do have a right to know, you know, who's being hypocritical, who's being straightforward. But as sharp a lens as we place on current political figures, you know, our current president or the current presidential candidates or vice presidents, Mm -hmm. I wonder if we apply as critical a lens to former presidents. And I think that there are some whose administrations certainly merit, you know, praise for all that they've accomplished. But yeah. to look back at some of our founding fathers, they, they led some pretty sordid lives. And one in particular, 
today, scholars, you know, tear him apart every day, examining him. Thomas Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson, a real study in contrast. Well, yeah, he's he's a really good example of what you're talking about. He was about as accomplished as any American has ever been, probably uh, rivaled only by Benjamin Franklin, to tell you the truth. Um, He was a a mild inventor. He had a couple of inventions, plantation owner, uh, obviously a a drafter of the Constitution. He was a member of both of the Continental Congresses, um, and and he just accomplished so much in his lifetime. But at the same time, he had this... um, this wildly scandalous personal life in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think when you put him under a modern lens, uh, it, it is very easy to tear him apart. And you kind of have to walk this uh, really precarious tightrope. Like, how do you judge Jefferson? By his private life? By his public life and accomplishments? Or a combination of the both? And it gets even more complicated when the private and public parts intersect. For instance, we all know that he wrote the Declaration of Independence, but the man had nearly 200 slaves Mm -hmm. in his private possession, and he never could settle the matter of slavery, whether it was right or wrong, and I think he hoped in his heart of hearts that eventually it would just phase itself out. Yeah. And that's sort of strange, because I don't think it's an institution that was ever going to, you know, subtly go away. Right, that is a a, a bit strange. Plus, also... um he, uh, he well, he inherited most of his slaves from his father-in-law, John Wales, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, the the house slaves, the house servants, um, were thought to have been sired by Wales himself with a woman named Betty Hemings. And one of the kids um, out of that uh, that affair was Sally Hemings, who, as I'm sure you already know, um, Jefferson had an affair with and had at least one child. Um, which, again, I mean, can you imagine that being on the cover of Us Weekly or People Magazine today? I mean, we're, we're very close right now in the 2008 election, but, you know, not not that close. That's, that's pretty scandalous stuff. It is. The blow might have been softened by the fact that Jefferson was a widower, mm-hmm. so it wasn't as though he were cheating on a wife with this particular slave. But, you know, slaves were considered property, and one of the very interesting things about Jefferson is that in his advocation of of the precepts of, of liberty and the pursuit of happiness and, and right to live freely and make one's own decisions, he did not keep in line with other policies that said that slaves couldn't marry. He mm. actually condoned marriages between slaves. You know, so one would like to think that this founding father was, you know, fostering, you know, a a tiny shred of happiness and and their otherwise mundane and 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 hard-working lives, but there's something perhaps a little bit sinister about the fact that if the slaves married and then produced children, their children automatically became his property. Mm -hmm. So one has to wonder, was he running a a slave mill, essentially? Was he encouraging marriage only so that he could get their offspring and and propagate this line of slavery at Monticello? You, You know, I'm always harping on cultural relativism, which is, you know, you can only judge a culture by its own standards. The same applies to, um, to the cultures existent in, in, in different times, right? So, I mean, at, at the time that Jefferson owned slaves, slavery was, like you said, an institution in America. Um, 
And if you judge it by those standards, then Jefferson treated his slaves better than the average person. Um, I read uh, uh, in something you wrote that uh, he uh, preferred to uh, dismiss them from their transgressions rather than have them whipped, that kind of thing, uh, which was pretty much the opposite of what everybody else is doing. So, yeah, he treated his slaves better, but ultimately... As such a pioneer, a great thinker, a philosopher, um, couldn't he have just set his slaves free? You know, really, um, can you you say the man had slaves, but he treated his slaves well, but he still had slaves? You know, are we we using our own cultural bias, our own temporal bias against him? Or is that something, you know, not owning slaves that that goes against... Any uh, culture is a is a blemish on any culture, regardless of when they existed. I think that's a really hard question to answer, and especially for me because I'm an ardent admirer of Jefferson for his political ideologies and some of the things that he accomplished um, in the realm of invention and architecture. And his finest architectural achievement, Monticello, his house. Um, Monticello means little hill. It was this beautiful home built on top of a a flattened mountaintop in Albemarle County outside Charlottesville, Virginia. Now you, you've been there, haven't oh, you? Oh, yes, yeah. I've been there. It's just gorgeous. I could live there, but they won't let me. <laughs> I'm not banned from you it could, by you any could, stretch. You just have but to keep out of sight. <laughs> Indeed. Um, maybe with my red hair, I could pretend I was one of his great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. Or dress like a tour guide. There you have it. There you have it. The tour guide I had was wearing a delightful little Lily Pulitzer ensemble. That wouldn't be so bad. I could manage that. (laughs) Anyway, the point being that his greatest architectural achievement, well, some may say University of Virginia was, but that was sort of an academic achievement too, Mm -hmm. actually pays homage and is a testament of his treatment of his slaves because he began Monticello's construction back in 1760. That was when he started drafting plans. And then a little bit later on, he was appointed U.S. Minister to France. So while he was abroad, he essentially relied upon his slaves to oversee construction and to actually build his magnificent home. And it took nearly 43 years to build because he kept designing and redesigning. And so his most trusted slaves were put in charge of essentially organizing the construction efforts, receiving, I guess, Um, what would I call them? I guess contractors from Mm -hmm. places like Philadelphia and other cities where there were specialized workers who were skilled in working with things like mahogany and and tempered glass. The slaves didn't do that sort of labor. They did the bricklaying and the foundation and And things like that. Well, they made the bricks as well, right? They did. Weren't most of the bricks in Monticello made on site? Uh Uh-huh, from the the red Virginia clay. And so... Jefferson obviously put faith in his slaves' capabilities, but still, at the end of the day, they were slaves. Even though some were house slaves, they might have had it better. Sally Hemings actually went with him to France. And she was actually, uh, he paid for her education. Uh, She had uh, probably a better education than than most most of the whites in America at the time put together, actually. Was was she educated in Paris while she was there with him? Yeah, and she was there with his daughters, Mm -hmm. and she was you know, there to help 
be their chaperone. And so it was essential that she be an educated and eloquent and well-put-together woman because she was supposed to guide and mentor his daughters. Mm -hmm. There's a picture that I saw in your article I I found kind of heartening. It was the uh, first-ever Hemings family reunion um, in 2003 at Monticello, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you've got, you know, white people, black people, and you realize, wow, they're all related. It really kind of drives home this... um, this sense that uh, that we are all kind of the same, really, you know. I mean that that uh, that that humanity transcends race, and that this photo, this this point that was made by this photo, traces itself back to Jefferson. So it's it's like even when the guy, it, 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 as complex as he is, even when he engages in in scandalous behavior, or whatever, he has this lasting uh, testament to humanity and to. Um, to the greater good, that kind of thing. It was like even beyond the grave, he's still, you know, making points. Yeah, that he sired a generation of of mixed blood, mm-hmm. essentially. And, you know, this was long, long before the civil rights movement. But I wonder, you know, could Thomas Jefferson have conceived that on the steps of his home, you know, a group of, of blacks and whites and all these races combined would be a testament to one of the founding fathers. I would, I would think not. I think that um, ultimately he probably was either very attracted to Sally Hemings, who was reportedly an extremely attractive woman, or you know he loved her. Um, and I think it was probably one of those things that's as, as simple as that. And I, I can't imagine that he really had that much foresight. Right. I mean, who does? Well, that's you know? a long shot. Although, although if anybody <laughs> did, Jefferson probably would have. So we have a lot to thank him for, for humanizing the office of the president. You know, when he was president of the U.S., he had two terms, 1801 to 1809. He was sort of, I don't know, not rebuffed, but people looked at him askew because he would answer the door of the then White House, essentially um, barefoot or in his bathrobe. Mm-hmm. And he paid no heed to formal ceremony. I mean, of course, you know, there were four formal ceremonies to be held, but he really did bring it to a more casual level. You know, it was a separation from British monarchy, so he didn't see need for pomp and circumstance. And today, you know, again, we see similar things, you know, the sort of ceremonial efforts, um, but then we see pictures of the president at his vacation home or maybe out hunting or with his family or, or dogs. Well, you know, you get the impression from looking at these pictures from the vacations and these these homes and everything that the president is a fairly wealthy person. Um, And that's the impression I had of Jefferson, too. And I I have a question for you, actually, if you're ready for it, Um, that I had heard that Jefferson himself, a wealthy landowner, uh, died penniless and broken in debt. It's true. That's, That's true. Absolutely fact. He died nearly a hundred seven thousand dollars in debt. How? How? Because let me let me let me wrap my mind around this. Bill and Hillary Clinton they left the White House in debt, uh, but within a few years they they were worth a hundred and ten million dollars. How did Jefferson uh, end up dying in debt? He, throughout his life, was a voracious reader, and he didn't like just buying his books used off Amazon like I do. He wanted first editions. He wanted leather-bound copies. He had a massive, massive library. He was constantly redecorating, remodeling, restructuring his home, and all these things added up. And 
Aside from those more mercenary efforts, he was also a really big philanthropist. And Mm. it was well known that beggars would come to the steps of Monticello and wait for handouts. He never refused anyone. And he was also a pretty big entertainer. He sort of kept track of uh, people's political records and voting records after he'd invite them over for dinner and, you know, infuse them with good wine and good food and sort of subtly talk them into seeing things his way. And these expenses added up, you know, entertaining, remodeling and reading, uh, philanthropy. And so when he died, not a penny to his name, his daughter Martha was forced to sell off Monticello. Oh, yeah, for how much? I don't know how much she sold it for. I'll have to look back into that. But she sold it at auction. And later, the land, the slaves, everything auctioned off. And it actually changed hands about four times, the house did, before it finally ended up under the care of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation. Appropriately enough. There you have it. And they're the ones responsible for restoring Monticello and making it the, the tourist destination and archive, I guess, that it is today. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow, that was a heck of a conversation, Candace. I like that. I know. That was and nice. Well, I have one more little tidbit for oh. you. It's about how um, how did Thomas Jefferson break his hand in a romantic tumble. And it's actually not as um, illicit as, as I would have you believe. He was picking flowers for his sweetheart with him. He was walking, and he had to scale a, a small brick wall to pick the flowers. And on his way back down, he broke his hand. That, so. Well, and that, is, that does qualify as a romantic tussle. Indeed it does. Agreed. Nice little tidbit. For even more juicy tidbits on Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, you can read how Monticello works on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. 